Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is well. Um, let's just begin by acknowledging the amazing understanding and truth that we are a family of God. That we are here today unified because we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. How many other things do we try to gain um, an identity over? I mean, it could be as silly as a, as a sports team, right? You guys have heard me talk about the Bills before, probably in most sermons. But things as silly as a sports team, we can create an identity over. We can create identities over where we come from, what part of the country we come from, who our family is, maybe what our racial identity is, maybe what our socioeconomic identity is. There's all of these things that we create identities over. But we are here today focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and that unifies us. So we have a diversity of secondary identities here today. But we ought to have and work towards having a primary identity that's rooted and seated and truthfully fixed in the Word of God and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So that is why we are here today. We are going to go backwards a little bit in Matthew. We're going to do the talent of Matthew 12. Um, and throughout our summer series, we had a couple one-off sermons, and we didn't get to this uh, piece of text, and I think uh, Daniel and I believe that it's really important for us to get to this piece of text. So we're going to do uh, the last uh, four verses in Matthew 12, and then next week, uh, drumroll please, next week is the first Sunday in Advent. So we're going to be moving away from Matthew for four weeks and talking about four different names of God that through the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, um, uh, solidifies and brings to light all of those names of God perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. So we're excited about that. We're going to have um, a weekly blog out talking about each of those names. So on Sunday afternoons, you and your families can um, open that up as maybe you do an advent calendar or something like that. Um, you can use it as a resource um, to help you and your family enter well into Advent. Also, just a reminder, uh, Pastor Daniel um, encouraged us to enter into some sort of fasting throughout Advent. We'll have an article on out what that looks like, but setting aside certain things during the season so that we can fix our eyes um, more closely on Jesus. So today we're going to hear one more thing, one of the many things that Jesus says um, that we're going above and beyond what we knew before and then into something new because Jesus is bringing a new kingdom. He's bringing newness into our lives. Jesus isn't just coming to establish um, another code of ethics. Jesus is actually coming to reign in our hearts and to change us foundationally as people. And some of the ways that Jesus has challenged our foundational idea of who we are are throughout the other chapters that we've already dealt with. And some of them are actually parts of the Ten Commandments. So these are important big things that people would have understood. So one of those is hate. Jesus says, if you hate your brother, it's actually like murdering him in your heart. He'll talk about lust, 
which isn't just a fleeting thought. It's actually adultery in your heart. He'll talk about loving not just your neighbor, but he'll talk about loving your enemies. And then going one step further, love those who persecute you. Jesus will say that the Sabbath is not just the absence of working and the code of ethics that come from not working one day a week, but actually the active pursuit of the presence of God. So today, we're going to be talking about family. Family is an important and godly construct, something that the Bible talks a lot about. The Ten Commandments say, honor your father and mother. Listen up, kids, right? But that's for all of us. Okay, so it's almost like Jesus is saying once again, you have heard it said, honor your father and mother, but I say to you, and then he's going to bring us to a new place today. He's asking us, you and I today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, once again, not just when he said it 2,000 years ago, but today, let us examine our hearts and lean not on our previous understanding of a well-known topic, but to really examine our hearts and to push ourselves into the direction that Jesus wants us to go. So Jesus doesn't make it complicated. He just asks us to re-examine what we thought. And my hope today is that I'm not going to make it more complicated, but that I'm going to help us understand what Jesus is teaching us about being a part of the family of God. So to quote Jesus... Who is your family anyway? So we're going to read the story, and then we're going to talk about it. So this is the word of God, Matthew 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. Let's read together. It'll be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let us pray. Father, we call you Father. Help that not to be lost in us today. Help us to be sons and daughters of the King, and to know that our identity is rooted and solid in you. So I pray that you would help us have softness as we learn, and bring us closer to Jesus. We ask all these things in your name, amen. All right, so first and foremost, we need to deal with this scene, because it's largely taken out of context of this whole story. Remember, let me just remind you again, often throughout Matthew, please often take, take a half an hour and read the entire book of Matthew because then we, we keep the story arc going. We keep remembering what the flow of this whole story is. So just, just as a reminder. So dealing with this scene and what his family was thinking, we have to kind of go back and remember that just a chapter ago, so just it might have been that day, it may have been the day before, Jesus was in the local synagogue And he was making some declarative statements, some pretty intense declarative statements. He was establishing and talking about his authority, okay? He he partnered himself up with guys like Jonah and David. He declared that he is Lord over the Sabbath. 
So he's declaring his authority, something that we've seen Jesus doing from day one in his birth on this, on this planet. And here we have him with people that have followed him from there because he, he was, the Pharisees were not happy. He was gaining a lot of attention. So he withdrew, but people still came. And now he's in this home. We don't know whose home it was, but he's in this home with people that he's healing, he's teaching, he's fellowshipping with. And his family comes, Jesus, we really got to talk to you. Okay, it's pretty clear that they're a bit concerned with what's going on. He's attracting a lot of attention, okay? Now, here it isn't as clear as to what the family was thinking, but if we look at Mark's gospel, chapter 321, that talks about the same time and place, Jesus' family said this, um, uh, that they came, they, they had gone out to seize Jesus because they said that he must be out of his mind, now, we have no indication up to this point that Jesus' family believed in him yet. Like, whole scale, we follow you, Jesus. Um, so if your son, if your brother is saying, I'm the Messiah, even after all that they went through, even after all that Mary went through and experienced, when your son or brother is saying, I'm the Messiah, like, that's a big deal. And they wanted to go in and they wanted to take Jesus out of the home to speak to him, even if they interrupted his ministry. Because they at least had a cultural right to do that. Because family in the ancient Near East was extremely important, probably even more important to some extent than it is today. If you were in a family, you had security, you had a trade, family trade or something, a profession. You were secure in knowing who you were and whose you were and what your life was going to be like. There was security and safety. If you lost your family, you basically had nothing. So being a part of a family meant, then, you acted accordingly to what the family wanted you to act like. It was already pre-prescribed. And if you didn't act that way, you were a disgrace. So Jesus was definitely attracting attention, but attention, but probably not the type of attention that his family wanted him to get. Now, please understand, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, okay? But we might think that people would have heard Jesus saying the things he was saying and kind of rolled his eyes, uh, rolled their eyes, and said, "Oh, Joseph's kid, he thinks he's the Messiah. Like this guy's a little bit, he's a little bit crazy." Right? And so it's hard to think that Jesus' family wasn't a little bit perturbed and a little bit kind of like, Jesus, can you, can you keep it down a little bit at least? You're drawing bad attention to our family. So growing up, um, I come from a family of performers. Um, both my parents are professional musicians, um, myself included, and, and my, my sister is a, is a dancer. She teaches and, and dances and um, we always, we always joked when we went to gigs or something, we'd say, have, you know, do great, don't disgrace the family name. You know, that was kind of the Schwartz catchphrase, like, don't disgrace the family name. It was one of those kind of kidding, not kidding things. But I think we understand that, that our families, what we do and say reflects on our last name, doesn't it? So I think some of that is going on here. So Jesus' hard words of challenge to his family, challenging the authority that they assumed they had over him. He's challenging them. He's not saying that family is bad or we should disrespect 
anybody in our family. But what he's helping us understand is where family can fit best in his kingdom. And understanding best where our priorities ought to be. So then, what does Jesus define family as then? He defines it as whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So today we're going to take some time kind of breaking this idea down into three big boxes. The first one is we'll find that the family of God is a chosen family. We'll find that the family of God is a singularly focused family. And we'll find that the family of God is an eternal family. And our big idea that we're going to kind of work with that sort of weaves in and out of, out of these, three, um, these three bullet points is this, that family is a kingdom construct that is designed by God to unify us in identity and shared vision. Okay, that's a mouthful, but we have the next 15 minutes or so to unpack that. Now, most of us uh, w- whether the family we were born into is a so-called Christian family or one that follows Jesus or not, regardless of that, I think we have all felt the benefits of belonging to a group of people, a community that shares, that cares for one another, that loves for one another, has a focus and a vision for where they want to go. And friends, this This is because family is a kingdom construct. God created this concept of family. He created it to unify us, created it so that we can can experience shared identity and shared vision. And this is why some family experiences can be largely hurtful and toxic. Because when there's a lack of shared love, when there's a lack of unity, when there's a lack of division, when there's a lack of intimacy and unity, we have this innate sense because we are made by God to want and need and desire this, that when its absence is felt, it's really, really difficult and sad, and there is brokenness there. But the good news today is that in God's family, is for all sorts of broken people. All sorts of broken people that believe and put their faith in Jesus. We're all broken. We are all in need of adoption into a new family. So we come to our first, our first point here that the family of God is a chosen family. God chooses us. And in turn, we decide and we choose to follow him with our lives. Listen to Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. The Apostle Paul says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So friends, Jesus' plan was to save the world, all of us. And Jesus chose to come and start this, as we call the rescue mission of the whole world. And as Daniel preached uh, two weeks ago, he was talking about the power of the kingdom of God and that there's power in that it's a chosen group of people, ones that are both chosen by Jesus, but also ones that choose 
to follow him. Jesus was surrounded by people who had left their lives, who had left everything to follow him. His disciples had left careers, homes, families. And the spiritual family of God is chosen, and so there's power because there's buy-in. You and I are all here because we're choosing to, to be here, to worship, to make much of, to learn about, to follow the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's power in that. Don't lose that. Don't lose that fact. And we are therefore all united in sharing this common identity, as I said earlier. We're united in sharing this common identity in Jesus. And we have a shared vision for living our lives for him, worshiping him, and doing his will. We are a family that is chosen. Now, we are also a family that is singularly focused. The family of God is something that's focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ in everything, in everything. We point to Jesus. We look to him. Now, the family um, of, of Terra Nova Church here today, we have three core values that all point singularly to Jesus. The first one is, is quite obvious. It's Christocentric. That first and foremost, Jesus is the head of the large C, group, uh, large C church family and is also the head of our church. And it's in him that we have our name and our identity. And it's, it's to him that we look to to know how to live. And then we are a church that's incarnational, which means in trying... In trying to incarnate or see the gospel presented through the lens that we find ourselves here today in the modern day and bring the good news uh, of the gospel, we look to how Jesus did that and brought his message to a time and place and talked about the good news to those people. And, and we are also a church that's monastic and missional, and we get these ideas from how Jesus lived. He lived monastically with a tight group of people where he had intimacy and where he had, um, where he had fellowship and, and gained strength in his ministry, and then he went out as a missionary to bring others into the family. So, so we try, as a, as a family of Terra Nova, we try to live that way too, focused on Jesus. We find our identity not in human blood or a name on a birth certificate, but in the person and the work of Jesus who came to rescue us and to reign in our hearts and to call us back to people that he designed us to be perfectly in his will. And it is for Jesus we live. And it is because of Jesus that we can live. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1.30 said, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Amen. Thirdly, we are an eternal family. This is not, an, this is not a temporary construct here. This is an eternal construct that God meant the family of God to operate as our home right now and today, but also for eternity. Now remember, Jesus says that those that are his family are the people that do the will of the Father. Thus, the work that we do for the kingdom is eternally significant work because it is from God. The effort and the hard work of relationships will live on into eternity for those that put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And the investments that we make here and now in this life 
are eternal investments. And it needs to be said, and I know that you all know this, but let me just remind us it's okay, that dealing with and living with and loving messy, broken, sinful people is difficult work. It doesn't have to be easy. It's hard. When you put lots of sinners together, there's difficulty. And the work of ministry and the work of loving the church is messy, hard, and difficult work. Sometimes it's a whole lot harder to love the people in this family than it is your own family at home. And because Jesus addresses the nuclear family here in this passage, and most of us understand or are a part of a nuclear family, we have to deal with, well, what implications does it have for me when I go home into the four walls of my home today? Living for and with your church family means that you will be taken out of the comfort zone of your life, of your home, of your schedules, your bank accounts. But we have to have a good, healthy balance of both because not one, not your nuclear family or your godly family should operate in opposition to the other. Because sometimes we operate in our own nuclear families and we, and we make those places uh, a, a, a place to insulate and to escape. And then the needs of your church family are left unmet. There are people in your church family that might not have the nice, vibrant home that you have in your nuclear family and they need you to be a brother or sister. However, sometimes... We get so consumed with the work outside of our home, with kingdom work, good, good kingdom work of evangelism and discipleship and all of those things that we're called to do. However, we forget sometimes that there are people in our own home that need discipleship. There are people in our own home that might need to know Jesus. So we must have a healthy balance. This is difficult. This is difficult. So how do we get this right? Well, Sunday school answer, look to Jesus. But that is true. But let's talk about kind of two specific kind of application points as we close today. So how do we do this? How do we live as people that have nuclear families and are a part of God's family? First, live first for the kingdom and live out your identity as an adopted member of that group. Remember Ephesians 1. We are adopted by God into that family. And Jesus says, seek first the, the kingdom and all its righteousness and all the things will be added to you. So seek that first. Let your love for Jesus and your identity in Jesus, first and foremost, not your birth certificate, Okay? First and foremost, let your, let your love for Jesus and your identity in Jesus overflow into your relationships, namely your nuclear families, and make it a place where God can be seen, reflected out of how you're living. Our homes have a great potential to be places, to be beacons of light for the kingdom. But of course, that's, that's not a given. So we have to cling to Jesus. 
Second application piece for us. Your home or your nuclear family is a unit that should work for the kingdom, not as a separate entity outside of it. Our nuclear families are, are a place of, like I said, a great opportunity to be a micro-expression of God's family. James K.A. Smith is one of my favorite authors. Um, if you don't know any of his books, start with You Are What You Love, wonderful book um, about uh, worship and liturgy and all sorts of, all sorts of things. But um, he describes families this way. I think this is just beautiful. I probably could have just read this quote and, and, we, and that was it. But um, listen as he kind of breaks down what, what we're trying to get at here. He says, families work well when we do not expect them to give us all we need. In theological terms, family is called to be a part of the social adventure we call the church. If the church is our first family, then our second homes should be defined by it, and our doors ought to be open to the stranger, the sickened, the poor, liberating it from the burden of impossible self-sufficiency while also making it open to the disruptive friendships that are the mark of the kingdom of God. Therefore, friends, if, if, you, are, if you are blessed today to, to have a nuclear family that has made a choice to follow Jesus, don't keep all those resources to yourself. Serve the kingdom. Shine as a beacon of light for the kingdom. And know that you operate as a part of the whole, not a separate entity. Now, some of you belong to families where maybe you're the, you're the only person in that family that follows Jesus. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Because first and foremost, remember, first and foremost, you are chosen by Jesus to be a part of his eternal family. You are adopted as a son or daughter of an eternal king. The Gospel of John chapter 1 says, to all who did receive him became children of God, not born of flesh or the will of the flesh, but of God. So out of your identity in Jesus and the fellowship and unity that you're receiving from your church family, do the will of the Father and be a beacon of light to people maybe in the four walls of your home. Now, this family that Jesus is describing is only possible because Jesus went to the cross for you and I to make us his own. I'm going to have the band come back up, and we're going to, we're going to transition into a time of communion. Now, Jesus came to save us for eternity, not just for, not just for this life, but for eternity. He came to save you and I by his name. I am not saved because I happen to be born a Schwartz. Pastor Daniel is not saved because he happens to be born a Williams. There is no name, there is no status that can save you except for Jesus Christ. And we are about to partake 
in a sacrament where together, as diverse people unified in one name and one person and one act, which is the death of Jesus Christ, we together become a whole unit, a family. There's power in that. We partake the elements together. We viscerally take the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, we take this act of understanding that he died for us to be in us, to be a part of us. And today as a church collectively, we are unified. We have shared vision. We have shared identity. We have shared work that we are called to, to do the will of the Father. So as we take communion today, you take your, your little cups, tear, the, the top sheet is for the bread, the bottom one is for the, for the blood, for the cup. And while we sing um, this song, and can it be, uh, any time throughout that song, take the broken bread, break it, dip it in the cup, and remember that Jesus died for you, to save you, to make you his own, to adopt you as his own. And for those of us today that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who have been adopted, who have accepted our adoption into the family of God, this is a time that we remember that. Now, if you, are, if you haven't made that decision yet, Jesus is calling you today. He died for you too. You are here because he has called you here. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be your father. And he is good and he is eternal and he is majestic as we sang about before. So let us take this next song to ponder what Jesus has done for us to make us his own. And let us lift our voices in worship for him.